So you may not know this, um, some of you do because you've been with me for quite a while, but for those of you who are newer on the scene, you may not know that I am a drummer, and I have been a drummer since I was eight years old. Who, who did not have any idea, and you look at me like, there's no way that guy can keep rhythm? Well, you might be right about that too, but I am a drummer, and I'm better than Nathan, and that's all that matters. I will say I used to be better than Nathan, but he has surpassed me in his abilities, and it ticks me off every time I see him play. But I've been playing since I was eight years old, and my dream when I was a kid, the people I looked up to, we're going to see how old you are. I wanted to be Ricky Rocket. Who knows who Ricky Rocket is? Woohoo! Yeah, we got a few people who lived in the 80s, and the rest of you are all like, I don't know who that is. Ricky Rocket was hairband central. I mean, he had the big hair, he had the pink drumsticks, wore the tight pants, couldn't have pulled that off, but I still wanted to be that because he, he drummed in a band called Poison, and I loved Poison, and then I moved on to bands like Metallica. I know I'm a pastor, and you're like, what's going on here? This dude listens to some weird people, um, but no, that's what I liked when I was growing up. Still like them. Um, don't listen to them very often anymore, but still a fan, and uh, if I ever had the opportunity to be Ricky Rocket, I would leave you guys in a heartbeat and go be, no, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. But I used to, if y'all know Scott Blair, uh, he's one of our, well, he just finished his term as an elder here. He's not here today, so you may not know him. But if you do know him, me and him grew up together learning how to play drums. We've both been playing since we were little. And we are so old that we would take cassette tapes, you know, those actual tapes. We were past records, so at least we were better than that. But cassette tapes, and we would play and try to mimic whatever bands like Poison or Metallica or Bon Jovi or scorpion or any of those bands back in the day and then we got into some country music and all that kind of stuff i love drumming so much that when i go to a concert i would watch the drummer more than i would watch who's on stage i remember going to see garth brooks when he was in his prime back in the mid 90s early 90s he was at thompson bowling arena and uh, i went to see him and i watched the drummer more than i watched garth brooks because i love drums I love playing drums and I'd love to get to play here more but Megan won't let me anymore actually she would it's just hard to yeah anyways but you know what I've been I follow this guy on on Instagram now who uh he he shares these reels of him playing drums and man he is good he he can play every song that he puts out there it's just crazy how good he is and it makes me very angry because he is about seven years old I'm not kidding He's a little kid, and he hits every beat on every song, and I am absolutely jealous of a seven-year-old. I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. I want to do what he can do, and y'all are judging me right now. I can tell. You're jealous of, don't judge me. All y'all are jealous of something. I know you are. We are all jealous of something because some of you all will look around and see someone who you think is more attractive, and you're like, I hate that person. Their life just looks so much better than mine. We all get that way. Maybe not if they're more attractive, but maybe uh, you'll look around and say, Ty's like, I hate people with hair. <laughs> you ever get like that, Ty? Yeah. You look weird with hair, I'm just saying. Uh, or, or, you know, it's maybe uh, you're in the grocery store and you're vertically challenged, sorry, over here, and you can't reach the top shelf, so you're like, I hate tall people. I mean, we're all kind of jealous of, of certain things. Maybe it's the, the family that's got the bigger, nicer house. Maybe it's the person who just bought the brand new car that's so much nicer than yours. Maybe for some it's jealous because you see a 
some, a married couple who's happy and either your marriage is not going so well or you're single and can't find that person to marry. Or maybe it's you see kids and you're like, I wish that I could have kids or at least kids that would listen. But I'm telling you, none of them do. None of mine do. Neither of mine do. So we're jealous of all these kind of things. And to some degree, if we're honest with ourselves, all of us want to live a life that other people would envy. And we may not admit that, but we do. And, and how do I know it? Because I see your Instagram posts. I know that it's true. Let, let's, uh, there's some pictures on here. Show me. This is kind of the stuff we see. It's none of yours, but, you know, this is the picture we post. That's what happened just before you took it. But we don't share that one. Or, or there's a ne the next one. You know, this is the happy family, but this is the family that's like, I hate my kids. Please get rid of them. Or this... And that happens as soon as you're done. Or, or you go to Disney World, show me that next one. And this is the picture you post, but this is what's actually happening at Disney World. If you've been to Disney World in the last two years, you know that everybody in America is going to Disney World and it place is packed. We all kind of live a life that we want people to envy or we want to live a life that we want people to envy. That's why we choose name brand clothing sometimes because, you know, we got to have the nice stuff. We got to keep up with the... Joneses, not that Jones, but, you know, the cool Joneses, Jennifer, who's either in the back or not here today. We want to keep up with her, not so much Greg. Um, that's why we do all these kind of things, because in reality, there's something inside of all of us that we want the glory. Uh, we all want uh, to, to receive that recognition, that greatness, that distinction or honor, or we want some admiration or we want praise. And maybe you're kind of an introvert and you're like, that's not me, but it probably is to an extent. Uh, Matt Chandler uh, would compare that. He says people who are like that, which is all people, he says, he calls them glory thieves. Because we end up stealing from God what is God's and try to place that attention back on to us. Paul David Tripp, who's a, a writer, a pastor, he writes this concerning that. He says, because in our sin... We have wandering hearts. Life is a glory war. We are fighting for glory. We want the honor. Or if we don't want it, we misplace it. And, and we don't place it on the only one worthy of that glory and that honor. We are stealing it from God in the process. And this is why so many Christians become self-righteous. Who, who become so legalistic, and I can do it my way. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to accomplish this. That's why so many of us become self-righteous. That's why so many of us become prideful. And that's why so many people look at Christians and they reject the gospel because they're like, I don't want that. In Romans 11, this is the condition of the Israelites, uh, of God's chosen people. That's what's going on here. This is why, as we've read through Romans, especially the last couple of chapters, we see Paul talk about how broken he is for his kinsmen, how he is just in, in weeping over them, just wants so bad for them to see the truth because the Israelites have become self-righteous rather than being faithful to the God who has chosen them and who has called them. So if we desire... Something within us desires to live a life that everybody else wants. 
But usually when we do that, we end up being glory thieves or in a glory war. The question to answer today is how do you live the life everyone wants and still honor God? Is it even possible to do that? Most of us, we thought things would be different in life. If you look back five years ago, some of you over here, you can't go back five years. You were 13 years old. There's nothing going on when you're 13 years old except for boys. Some of us look back five years or maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years, and we look and we had different expectations of where life was going to take us. And you're like, how did this happen to me? You thought finances were going to look very different for you. Or you thought that your career was going to be something totally different. For those of you over the age of 25, who's in the career you thought you were going to be when you were 18? Three people, four people. Four people out of this whole room are in the career that you thought you were going to be in when you were 18 years old. Maybe you had a different idea of what relationships were going to look like with with a spouse, or maybe it's with a parent, or maybe it's with your children. The expectations haven't been met. Maybe your health condition is different than you thought it was going to be 10, 20 years ago. And you're dealing with something right now that you never saw coming. And even in our faith, we end up that way. We have different expectations in how we believe faith is going to play out for us and how the reality of faith plays out for us. And that is what's going on here with the Israelites. They have different expectations as being chosen by God. But rather than being driven by the fact that they are chosen, they are driven by the law. They are driven by self-righteousness. They're driven by all of these things other than the Lord. They're driven by the, I must do this instead of God has already done this. As a result, as Paul writes this in Romans, they have rejected Jesus. God's chosen people reject Jesus. His son, because it doesn't make sense to them in their idea of what faith should look like. Even Paul, he had different expectations. Paul himself, raised uh, in the Jewish tradition, this guy who who was a well-thought-of student, studied under a well-respected rabbi named Gamaliel. He's well-thought-of. Paul was, if you remember from Scripture, they talk about Pharisees. Paul was in the Pharisee tribe. He was a Pharisee. Until Jesus blew up his expectations. And he found Paul on the road to Damascus. And everything changed for Paul in that moment. And now, Paul is no longer about this Jewish tradition. This living up, this self-righteousness. Living up to this standard. Following these certain laws. Now Paul is all about the gospel. That is all he cares about. It is For Paul, it is all Jesus all the time. He just wants to see people saved. And he has a soft spot for his kinsmen. He is broken for his Israelite brothers and sisters who have refused the gospel. And that's where we find ourselves as we get into chapter 11 of the book of Romans. In Romans 11, we're going to focus on just a few verses today. We're not going to go through the whole chapter 
But if you have time, go back and read it and kind of read some things about it. It's a very interesting chapter in the book of Romans. But what we're going to focus on this morning begins in verse 13. And Paul writes in verse 13, Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Now, if you're new to church and you don't know what a Gentile is, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. It is everyone who is not a Jew. So he's saying, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, meaning his ministry, what he's called to, is to share the gospel with non-Jewish people. That's Paul's main job. He says, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews, that's a weird word, jealous. To make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Paul's goal in his ministry, one of his primary things is he seeks to really stress his ministry, to stress what God is doing among the Gentiles so that his brothers and sisters who are Jewish will look at that and say, I want that. His goal is to make them jealous. Now, when we think of jealousy in our culture, in our context, that's not a good thing. Who likes to be around jealous people? Probably none of us. It's not a comfortable thing. It's negative. When we think of jealousy, you'll think of the jilted boyfriend or the jilted girlfriend who's doing everything to show whoever broke up with them that they shouldn't have made that mistake. And they do sometimes nasty things in that. Or the jealousy that we have over our neighbor who just got the new car or whatever it may be. Other translations, yours may say this, translates that word used for jealousy here as envy. But even envy has a negative context to it in our culture today. But really, what, the way Paul is using jealousy or envy, however your translation says it, the difference in what he's saying and how we use the word is, is the object of our desire. You see, Paul's not trying to make them jealous of his stuff. He wants them to want his God. He wants everything to point to Jesus. It is all about Jesus for Paul. It is this eager desire for Jesus, and that is a good thing. That's Paul's desire, not just for the Gentiles, but for his brothers and sisters who are Jewish. So how do you live the life everyone wants and still honor God in the process? That is exactly what Paul is demonstrating here in this passage. And the answer is simply this. In all that you do, put Jesus first. Always. Jesus, number one, above all things, put Jesus first. Paul says he magnifies his ministry. Magnify Stress to those around you, your neighbors, your family, all of them, your co-workers. Stress what Jesus is doing in you and through you. Stress it. Tell people about it. Live it out. Don't just keep it hidden. Put Jesus first. We live in this world that we know right now is struggling with identity. Identity. Where do we find our identity? 
a, a world that is hungry to find some semblance of what love really looks like, a world that is struggling right now to find what purpose looks like in their life because that is how we have been created. Those are the things that God has placed in us. Colossians chapter 1 says, For through him God created everything. Through Jesus God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. And made the things we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. So everything, he says, everything was created through him and for him. It is all for Jesus. Put Jesus first because you were created by him and for him. You were created on purpose. You were not here by an accident. You were created on purpose and you were created for purpose. And your purpose isn't your job. Your purpose is not even your family. Your purpose is Jesus. Put Jesus first in all of that. Put him first. 1 Peter 2.12 says to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That is living your faith out in a way that even though non-believers will look at you, they may say you're nuts, they're still going to say they really believe it and there's something special about their faith. Make them jealous of your Jesus. That's what Paul, his goal is with his ministry. So we put Jesus first. And my question for you this morning is, does your life answer this question? Why should I choose Jesus? When non-believers look at you and they know that maybe you claim Jesus, does your life answer the question why that's good for them? Does your life make them want to follow Jesus? Does your words and your attitude and the way that you treat other people make them desire your Savior? Or does it make them turn away and say, I don't see how that benefits me in the least. Put Jesus first. And when you put Jesus first, that answers the question of what's my identity. It gives you a strong sense of identity when you actually put Jesus first, it answers the question of how do I experience real, genuine love because you have confidence in his love. When you put Jesus first, it gives you an unquenchable joy that is fulfilled in living out your purpose of serving him. When you put Jesus first, there's evidence of it. And that evidence is what we read in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The things that make Jesus attractive. Does your life do that? How do you live a life everyone wants and still honor God in the process? You put Jesus first. It's what Paul did. It was all about the gospel for Jesus. Put Jesus first. But not everybody wants Jesus. 
you work with people who don't want Jesus. You probably have neighbors who don't want Jesus. You probably have family members who don't want Jesus. That's true. But you know what else is true? Everyone, even someone who would claim to be an atheist, everyone has an innate desire that needs to be filled by something, an innate desire to worship something, an innate desire to experience glory. You will worship something. You will show love and adoration to something. Every human being is created that way. Just look all across your television screens yesterday as people were going nuts for a bunch of teenagers and early 20-year-old men in tight pants trying to get a brown ball across to the other end of the field. Just look, if you're a Tennessee fan, like 70,000 people packing the stadium in Nashville just to cheer on these guys clad in orange. Church doesn't look like that, does it? So excited about that stuff, you're worshiping that. Now, don't take me wrong. I watched every second of the game yesterday. watched as much as I could of the Braves game last night. I am all about sports. I loved seeing Florida lose Thursday, too, for you Florida fans in the room. There's one back there who is now converted to Jesus, and he is wearing a Tennessee <laughs> shirt today. Praise the Lord. We'll baptize you next week. You were wearing a Gator shirt two weeks ago. <laughs> we will worship something. Some worship celebrities. You know, some think it's really just like the greatest thing ever to meet a celebrity. And it is pretty cool. But some people, that's what they live for. They worship celebrities. But you know what? Sometimes it hits a lot closer to home. Some of us worship our families. And we put our families above everything, including God. And it becomes an idol for us. Some, it's finances. We worship money because we like nice things and we want to buy more stuff. It's, when we talk about this, it is anything other than God that we worship. Because all of us will worship something. And every time, if it's not God, it leads to emptiness and a hopelessness. Because we can never be fulfilled. There is never enough. I mean, just look at sports. The Braves won a World Series two years ago. If they don't win it this year, I'm going to be angry. Because they're the best team in baseball. That's the, no amen for that? Amen. On the flip side, if Georgia wins another national championship, Havilah will not be allowed in this church again. By the way, Havilah, I was told Bo this morning, I told her, my barber the other day that I hate you for three months now. I'm sorry. I still love you, but I'm, we're not friends. Okay. Strongly dislike you till December. How's that? We can still talk, but, you know, don't wear any Georgia stuff around. We worship things that are not God, and they do not fulfill us. But there is something attractive to others when we put Jesus first. 
Other people may have no desire to follow Jesus, but when you put him first, there is something attractive about that. It's how Jesus talks about being the salt and the light of the world, to bring light to this world, to make people hungry for Jesus and thirst for Jesus. There's something attractive about that. Maybe they don't understand, but that's the beauty of following Jesus. They don't have to understand. And that's what leads us to worship when we don't get it. But we see God as so big that he's taking care of all this stuff. And we come to this understanding that I may not understand something in Scripture or how God is working, but I trust that he really is who he says he is. And I have faith in that. And when you really do that, it brings you to this place where you have to worship him because you realize he is such a great and awesome God. Paul closes this section out. It's really a a song of praise. Maybe you could call it a hymn. Paul, as he's gone through explaining all of this about the gospel, things we don't understand. We talked about for the last couple of weeks how God chooses, yet you have to choose. All these things that Paul has talked about that, that we know God is sovereign in, and even Paul apparently doesn't understand And he breaks out in just spontaneous worship. And down in verse 33, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him alone be glory forever. Amen. Listen. Deep down, every person who is created for the history of mankind, we have this God-sized, Jesus-sized hole in our soul that we are just seeking ways to fill. Does your life drive people to desire Jesus to fill that void? Or does your life push them away from the Savior? You see, the Israelites, they had all the prophecy about the Messiah, had all the teachings, they knew the law forwards and backwards, But nobody wanted their faith. But Paul is teaching this faith in Jesus that makes people jealous because they want what the believers have. Jesus is the only answer. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 6, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. There is no other source for your needs, no other source for your purpose, your identity, your pleasure even. There is no other source that will fulfill you like Jesus. He is all that you need. Put Jesus first. If you're a believer in this room or joining us online, put Jesus first. That means begin your day every day and just say, Lord, help me today. I just want to put you first. When you go into that meeting at work that you know is not going to go well, 
Go to the meeting with that prayer. Lord, help me to put you first. When you're going to your class and you know that test, you're probably going to fail it because you hadn't studied at all for it, even picked up the book. Or in the case of Adriana, even went to class. Um, Although she probably does. She's a good one. When you go in and you know that it's going to be a tough one or you hate your teacher or whatever it is, put Jesus first. Ask the Lord to help you put him first. When you have that decision, you've got to make. Do you put Jesus first in the decision or your preferences? Maybe you're in this room and you need an identity. You have no idea what life is about. Jesus is the answer to your identity. Maybe you are seeking purpose. Jesus gives you purpose. Maybe you need to experience genuine love. Jesus is the source of true, genuine love. Maybe you are hopeless. Jesus is full of hope. Maybe you are just burdened with shame from your life, however you've lived your life. Jesus says there's no shame in him. Come to him. Maybe you can't forgive yourself. Jesus will forgive you for anything. Even when you can't forgive yourself or your loved ones look at you and say you're hopeless, Jesus says you are not. There is hope in him. There's no shame in him. There's forgiveness in him. There's purpose. There's love. There's identity. It's only in Jesus. The answer in life that we've always been looking for, the answer in life that this world so desperately needs is only Jesus. Nothing else will fill the void. Does your life make people jealous of Jesus? Does your life make them hunger to have what you have? And I'm not saying a perfect life because that's really the beauty of it. Can someone look at you in the valley of life when things are going terrible and say, how are they surviving this? And your answer is, Jesus. Does your life point to the Savior? The answer to the life you always wanted is Jesus. So put Jesus first. It's really that simple. I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to say it's easy. There are days where I don't put Jesus first. More than I would like to admit. But man, on those days when I do, life is so much sweeter and even more bearable than those days when I don't. Maybe my children get on my nerves a little bit less on those days. Maybe the truck I'm driving that, you know, is only half painted because it's so old. And makes weird noises when it starts. Maybe I'm just satisfied in that a little bit more on those days when I put Jesus first. Put Jesus first. That's the message that I believe Paul has for us in that passage today. Does your life make others jealous because you're putting him first? Because he is. He is that example in that passage for us to follow. And if you've never done that, you can do that today. If you'd bow your heads as we close this morning. If you are in that stage 
where you realize you've never put Jesus first, you can this morning. And I'm going to ask you, even if you're a believer, let's support those in this room who aren't. Let's pray this out loud. It's not a magical prayer. It is a prayer of commitment. It is a prayer of faith. If you believe the words you are saying, then this is evidence you are putting Jesus first. So pray, all of us in this room, those who are willing anyways, pray out loud. Father in heaven, I love you. I'm broken and I need hope. And I believe Jesus is the source. Today, I commit my life to him. Lord Jesus, will you be my master? Will you change my heart? Will you help me in all ways for the rest of my life? With every eye still closed, if you prayed that for the first time this morning and meant it, maybe you've prayed it before, but you weren't really putting Jesus first. If you are praying that this morning for the first time and you're making that decision, Jesus is Lord. Would you just slide your hand up? making this public profession of faith Jesus is my Savior if you're joining us online would you send us a private message so that we can walk through this with you if you are this morning in this room making that decision come find me after this service and let's talk through that process of what it looks like for the rest of us we're saying Jesus is Lord or we don't want him And one of the commands that we have to to follow as Jesus followers is to observe uh, communion. So we're going to close this morning with a time of worship. We're going to close this morning with observing communion. And I want to ask you this morning, as as you're in your space with the Lord for these next couple of moments... If you are in a place right now where you know you're not a Christian, do not take of communion today. If you are in a place right now where you have doubt, do not partake of communion today. Or maybe you're living uh, some sinful lifestyle that you have not turned away from. Make that right before you take of communion today. I'm going to turn it over to Craig. He's going to lead us through this time together.